Welcome to Business with Beers, a podcast for business owners who want to scale their business to massively grow their income and contribution by investing in people, process, and technology. I am your host, Brian Beers. This week, we've got a great show with AJ Osborne. He is an entrepreneur and author in the self-storage space. 15 years ago, he partnered with his dad to purchase one facility. They kept learning, thinking big, taking risks, and reinvesting everything back into the business. Today, they own over 10,000 units, 2 million square feet, and have no plans to stop growing. In this episode, AJ talks about an unexpected life-changing injury and how grateful he was to have built a business that not only supported his family for months during recovery, but it grew due to the systems and the people that he had in place. AJ and I also have a discussion about the macro level changes in the economy due to COVID and what it means for the future of self-storage. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends, rate and review with your favorite part to help us reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics covered in this podcast, check out brianbeers.com. Sign up for my newsletter, delivering content directly to your inbox. Hey, so welcome to the show, AJ. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Great, great. Well, this wouldn't be business with beers if I didn't ask you. Me and you are sitting at a bar right now. What are we drinking? Um, so I would most likely be drinking something with caffeine because I, I, I don't drink alcohol. So <laughs> Okay, great. I'm well, kind of a caffeineaholic. Yeah. So probably not good either, but, uh, you know. Fantastic. One nice cold, uh, tall, uh, flat white would be uh, great right now as well. So. Awesome. Well, uh, so, so AJ, I know as you, as you know, many may know, you're the author of The Investor's Guide to Growing Wealth in Self Storage, uh, a book that I uh, purchased and read a number of months ago. That was that was very informative about the self storage business and you know, kind of eye opening to the to the opportunity that exists that you know a lot of people you know don't really know about. You know, you see these big buildings, but you know, you kind of wonder, uh, you know. How, kind of business is this so if you don't mind can you share your story uh you know kind of your backstory how'd you get into self-storage um you know what kind of led you to writing the book yeah so um you know i i got a sorry my uh, throat's a little scratchy we have all this smoke up here so i'm i'm in idaho and Mm. the fires in california and washington the smoke is just like dumping on us so it makes my my throat a little gravelly um but you know i got started in self-storage where it was 15 years ago and uh, um, it, it wasn't, I, I, I guess to say, it wasn't the first choice, right? So I was in insurance and I sold insurance. Um, we sold insurance to um, groups, group insurance products, uh, major medical, life dental, all that kind of stuff. And I loved this idea because I was in charge of my own income. I worked on my own time. To me, I was my own boss, right? Um, and that's actually where I got started. Real estate didn't make any sense to me. Because I would go out and I was starting to get in my career where I wanted to buy blocks of businesses and you're getting a 3x multiple on a high cash flowing business. And my friends at the time were all getting rich in real estate, um, single family homes. And I just didn't understand real estate. It made no sense to me at all. I'd look over their numbers. I'm like, I don't get this. I didn't really understand, I guess, the appreciation and depreciation, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it just didn't make sense because I was a cash flow guy. It all had to be based off cash flow, total returns. I needed to see what my ROI was. How do I invest capital in here? What am I going to get from it? How do I scale? Um, so I had the problem, though. Me and my partner had the problem where we needed 
some tax savings and benefits because when you're in all cash businesses, you, you get slammed by taxes mm-hmm. yep. and it just crushes your net income. Um, and it gets really tiring giving 50% of everything you're working for to the government. Um, and real estate is the obvious answer for it. So when we looked at it, I'm like, okay, we need this depreciation. It was fairly immediate to me. I needed to go into commercial because I could evaluate commercial, right? Commercial's value is based upon a cap rate, meaning it's based upon the net income. So if I buy it, how much am I going to make from my investment in this? Um, So commercial made sense to my more business and cash flowing brain, right? Because I could evaluate it better. Then when looking at all sorts of different commercials, um, we I liked the self-storage industry. Um, and the reason I liked it because nobody was in it. At the time, you got to remember, at the time, self-storage was basically like, it was considered a junkyard. So yep. it was like banks didn't want to lend on it. Like it was really hard to get financing for um, because it was viewed as totally unstable. It was viewed as a beyond niche product that the future was unknown. A lot of people thought self-storage was not only not viable, but it was literally going to go away. Hmm. Um, And everybody else, it it, it was a junkyard. And uh, I even had one person say when, you know, we got into it, they're like, oh, you're going from, you know, high insurance sales with CEO to slumlord. Um, Because that's how it was viewed. Yeah. And for us, we're like, a month's cash. Yeah, yep. Exactly. And we're like, listen, it's it's cash flow. It's simple. It looks more like a business, but I get all the things that I get with real estate. That's why we bought it. Um, we hired third party management companies to run it. That didn't work at all. And that's when we really learned um, self storage is not real estate. And we jumped in and I'm like, I got to build a company out of this. And that was kind of our starting. We were buying in really small markets, small properties, and we started to take over the management because as business, as running businesses and working with business owners and being an entrepreneur, it was like this, you're not doing this right. So to me, the management companies were just stupid. We're like, where are our numbers? Where are things? And that's just not how they looked at it. So we came in and started building systems and we took over the management. I'm like, we got to work on marketing. We got to work on revenue management. We got to build processes and systems. And uh, I came in and said, this asset class isn't what everybody thinks it is. It's not real estate. It's a business. It acts like retail. It acts more like hotels and retail centers do um, than um, traditional type real estate. And by retail, I don't mean the retail asset. Not retail asset. Yep, you're talking I mean, about the, the person business. inside the yeah, yeah the business inside the retail yep. asset. Um, and we started this mode of operations, and we killed it. And we spent mass amounts of money on technology, and I just we just started pouring everything into running a better business. Um, I was doing that and still doing my insurance stuff, selling it, and me and my partner started that and. Um, we just grew it and we we're trying to diversify out of it. But I didn't plan really on leaving insurance. It wasn't really something we had, even though our real estate model was scaling, it was um, doing awesome. It was growing, <clears throat> but I didn't really, in fact, I was running our, our firm who was owned by a national company out of uh, Chicago. 
um, I was running the regional area here in Idaho. So um, I was their district, uh, their district manager, however you looking for our region and our office. And that was kind of the plan. Love and life. We were making great money. We were investing everything into real estate. Um, it was, we had this management company that was growing. We were figuring this business out even more and more and more. And the more we did to it, the more our returns started getting better. And then I started getting a little more notoriety, I think, in the self-storage world because um, I was asked to speak on, you know, what we were doing differently. And I kind of came out and I was like, listen, basically we view as everything traditional about this is wrong. We don't think that occupancy matters. Occupancy doesn't matter, which was heresy. What do you mean occupancy? Doesn't okay. Matter? And the second thing was uh, occupancy uh, doesn't matter and cap rates don't matter. They're not okay. even important. And uh, people are like, that doesn't even make sense. Like yeah. literally to the real estate people, like that's the only thing that matters. And for us, we're like, the only thing that matters is revenue. Stop looking at everything else and just look at the cash flow. What's the cash flow doing? How can it be grown? What are the different drivers and eroders of that cash flow? How can we manipulate those things? And when we started looking at properties, I was like, listen, if I could buy a business that does $150,000 a year for X amount, and I analyze all the products, the revenues, the customers, the overall marketplace, what products are selling for what? So units or space, as people call them, we I call products. They're okay. actual individual products. They have different people that want to buy them. And for us, I looked at the customer. So everybody else, they build a storage facility and it was a build it and they would come. You build it and people would just walk in and start renting. This was very, storage was so new, but it was gaining speed and nobody was in it. There was limited um, amounts of storage in the United States. So you could build a storage facility at the time anywhere and it would just fill up. You didn't do anything. There was no market. There's no nothing. Hmm. All you did is build buildings and it filled up and nobody thought about who was using it. Nobody thought about the customer. When we came into it, I'm like, I don't understand. Who are we selling to? So I, I had to think about the customer. Who is this individual? How much are they going to pay? And then we extrapolated customers into different paying groups and different um, amounts. And then how do we find that top paying one? And we started doing all this stuff. So we could leverage our ability through technology and asset management to just skyrocket those revenues. So I'd buy things at a zero cap. Yep, because you knew that you could make double the revenue. It didn't matter. So you apply your business plan based off of all the things that you know to that existing old school, old mentality. So you could outbid everybody else who's trying to buy it at a five or six or seven, whatever. And you would pay a lot more because you knew, hey, this is prime. This is like easy pickings here. And at the time we were doing that, but we were buying like 12 caps. Okay. So you gotta understand, like nobody wanted to be in storage. Like, I remember sitting down with an owner and I'm like, a bank's never going to lend on this. So you're going to have to be the bank because banks won't give us money because this is storage. So it's a 12 cap and seller financed. Yes. And then you're like doubling the, the revenue the next month, yep, right? Exactly. It's all month to month contracts, right? There's no long term. Nope. Right. So what are some of the, we, what are some of the benefits? And I start kicking people out immediately. Okay. Like it, it's, we're very aggressive. And so we're sitting in their living room saying, it, you know, they're like, I want a 10 cap. And we basically laugh like, kidding me who would pay a 10 cap for a storage facility yeah right like it was like yeah. now you're getting a 12 cap and you're going to hold the loan and it was like okay yeah okay um, my how times have changed in a short amount of time and there's there's reasons why self-storage is nothing like it used to be 
And one of the main reasons was people like me. Now, this all changed after 2008. Okay, so after the Great Recession happened, mm-hmm. the problem with storage was twofold. Lots of people think, oh, storage is so passive, right? It's actually the opposite. Yeah. Storage is operationally intense. Isn't it active? It's an active business. Very active. We have customers coming in every single day, nonstop. Yep. Very active. So because of that institutional money, you're like, what, I'm going to buy this and what am I going to do with it? Like, how do you know, there's nothing new. So institutional money wouldn't go into it. But two, institutional money's models couldn't, they couldn't project how storage would operate given credit cycles. Mm-hmm. Well, in 2008, we have a long-term credit cycle that collapsed. Um, that was the first time in 75 years. And self-storage, that was the first time we'd ever had a credit cycle collapse, right? So mm-hmm. credit markets froze. People and the, the money system in the United States stopped like it did in the Great um, Depression. Uh, other cycles were simply manipulated, obviously, by the federal government. Um, this was totally different. Now, after that, self-storage proved to be very, very good. So now the, all the institutional hedge funds, big private it, funds. Because it weathered the storm, right? It like, weathered the storm, and I could benchmark. So now I can take this cycle, and I could benchmark it into my models, and I can see performance. Now I can allocate capital. So now all of a sudden they could because they understood. And the other thing, though, that came out was after 2008, a company called Really Extra Space headed this up. It was yep. Extra Space, but third-party management. But they did third-party management like we do it. So Extra Space said, you have the big boys like Publix and things like that, which were ginormous compared to Extra Space at the time. Extra Space founder and uh, then co-founder came and joined him about the company. He said, we're going to focus all on technology. And then we're going to operate it for people. And it was so successful. Now Extra Space is the second biggest um, self-storage REIT in the world. And who knows, they may become even bigger than, than the first one in a very short period of time. You're talking about 20 years versus 50 years. And they're already catching up. And so now institutional money had a partner and they had a model. Then that changed everything. And it also changed how the consumers view self-storage. So then we had storage wars come out, right? So all this stuff is happening in the self-storage world where customers are now, they know what storage is, institutions, banks do. It was safer than the safest assets in existence, which were houses and um, long-term commercial lease. Both of those things, the golden goose, as I call them, of real estate turned out to be crap. And self-storage, which was crap, turned out to not be. So- what happened is the self-storage model changed. Mm. All the new stuff, all the institutional, they did so much homework. They started picking main roads, building superior products to get superior customers, which was everything we were doing. In that environment, we flourished then. We were already ahead of the game. And we were one of the few large operators. We're in the top um, 0.7% of the world of operators. Um, We're set up to take advantage. Right when all this is happening, out of the blue, I become sick and... um, Long story short, I become paralyzed from head to toe, quadriplegic. Um, so this is four or five years ago, right? And um, just one night, my legs stopped working. My wife rushes me to the hospital. Two days later, they're putting me on tubes. I couldn't breathe. Um, paralyzed from head to toe. And I was fired. So while I, they waited till I got off life support, which was nice of my company too. So after I got off life support, they came into the hospital where I'd been on life support, still um, stuck in bed, paralyzed from you know the chest down. Um, and they informed me my job was over. Obviously, 
at that point, it's not like I think that's even bad necessarily. At that point, there was no, we didn't even know if I would leave the hospital. So um, I lost my main source of income. I was paid very well for what I did. Um, I didn't need it. So I was totally safe because I'd spent all this time investing in commercial real estate assets and we built a company around it. So working two jobs for 10 years, traveling nonstop turned out to be a huge benefit. And it basically saved my family. I have four kids. We had just had our youngest of four. My wife's sitting there with a quadriplegic holding a newborn, basically three months old and has three kids at home that have to go to school and everything else like that. And I just lost my job. Um, There was no point in that, that we said, we're going to have to sell our home. What are we going to do for the future? And it was because of this passive investing that we had been doing for so long. You know, I look back and I'm literally just like, that was inspiration for us at the time to say, you know, I didn't need to. We, I made good money off our sales job. I could have spent the money on toys. We could have played. I could have had, you know, 40% of my life back to spend with my kids. But instead, I had this massive urgency. And, uh, you know, looking back now, it's just like, wow, gratitude is an understatement. Um, So then I fired, come out. They sent me home after a few months, uh, four months, I think it was, in a wheelchair. So I went to like five hospitals and including what is called an LTAC, a long-term care facility, because the hospitals at some point, they're like, you're sitting on tubes, right? And you may never come off. So they sent me to a place that could put me on life support and keep me to whenever. There was no answers. There was no cure. Um, So I gradually started to come back. And then I was in rehab and I was living in a rehab facility. Um, And then my insurance company kicked me a month after I got the rehab facility out so I went home paralyzed from the waist down or the chest down in a wheelchair, um, which I couldn't really function in a wheelchair. So I basically was put into my bed at home and my wife and four kids were there to take care of me. My brother moved in with me and came and lived with us so he could help carry me around and take care of me. Um, and that was going from being perfectly normal. You got to remember, I'm, wow. I'm 33 at the time. Like I'm a backpacker. I'm a outdoorsman. I'm this was so I didn't even say goodbye to my kids. That's how crazy this is. I never even say goodbye to my kids. I went to the hospital. I was put into a coma, woke up as a quadriplegic. And that was the next time I saw my children. And which was a month later because we didn't know if I was going to die or if we were going to pull the plug. So we didn't we didn't we didn't see my kids. I didn't see my kids because we didn't know how they would handle this. And we didn't have answers to give to them. So my kids didn't see me for a month until we decided this may never end. We, we, we've got to do this and do this right. Um, but it was just out of the blue like yeah. that. Um, and when I was sitting in the hospital, it was, I was actually in the rehab hospital. I was, it was, I was so excited. So I went in, it was like summer. Like we were out, I was out planting trees and I went to the hospital. The first time I got to go home, they were going to release me to go home to see my kids. And it was Christmas Eve and I was going to get to go on Christmas morning to see my kids open the presents. The hospital was going to take me and I was going to spend three hours with them. And that night I was like, I'm just looking at the door. I'm looking out my window. I'm still in my bed, you know? And I'm just like, oh, this is so cool. Life's so good. You know, and the nurses are like, hey, dude, you got to go to bed. I'm like, I, I will, but I'm going to see my kids tomorrow, right? And I realized at that time, my only concern right now 
is what are my kids going to get? I don't know. I'm not buying anything. I don't know. How many presents are they going to get? I wasn't sitting there going, my kids are going to lose their house. They're going to have to change schools. What's my wife going to do? How's my life going to work? And that was because of that passive income. And it was at that time sitting in the hospital watching the snow. It was just like that light bulb came on. I was like, this is so important. And I want to share with others about it, how this saved me and my family. And then two, self-storage, because it was so new, most of the information about self-storage out there was either borderline wrong. Um, they had never adapted with change. The whole new way of operating storage wasn't out there, or it just sucked. There was no real good information. So that's when I started to do more blogging, podcasting after, not at that moment, obviously. I waited till months later. Uh, but I, I started uh, in my wheelchair. Um, I actually started two companies out of my wheelchair, wrote my book, um, and started a podcast and some other stuff. Because at that time, I'd gained all this time. And so I was like, it's it's important for me to share this. So I just started sharing it. And, and you're back to, to full functionality now? Um, my lower legs are still partially paralyzed. So uh, were you at the Go Abundance event? I spoke, it might've been two years ago now. Yeah. And yeah, it was is in Colorado. So um, I don't have my leg braces anymore. That's the big one. So okay. I got out of my leg braces. Um, my ankles and my lower feet, though, they don't quite function right. And I still have, I'm on a lot of medicine and pain and everything. So below my knees, not all the muscles fire, but I can walk without leg braces and I don't need to use a cane or mm-hmm. other things that I have, to, which that was my goal. I'm like, listen, I, my, my goal is to be back to normal or what I would consider 90%. That means I can run, I can play with my kids, everything else like that. That's my ultimate goal. But my big goal was to walk on my own. Yeah. And uh, so now we're just trying to get to the next step. Yeah, it's amazing how life can change, right? In a single single oh, just, instant. And, uh, um, and two, you know. two, this is another, like, like nobody even understood. Like when they told us, too, they're like, um, okay, they couldn't figure anything out. So like, seriously, Brian, I'm sitting in a room that they couldn't admit me to the hospital because they're taking tests on me. And they're like, dude, you're perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. Hmm. And so then they're like, are you on drugs? Like, What's going on? And yeah. I'm like, I'm not on drugs. I don't even drink. And I'm like, my legs don't work. you know. And they couldn't put me into the hospital, though, because they had no diagnosis. So we're sitting paralyzed now in an emergency ER little room on a chair. They can't give me medicine. I'm in massive pain. And nobody knew what was wrong with me. Amazing. Yeah. And then when one of the head neurologists said, hey, I think I know what it is, he came down and he told us, which none of me or nobody had ever even heard of it or what it was. It was just, it was so random and out of control. Hmm. And especially, you know, everybody's like, how could this happen to me or everything? But and it was even more so when you have this young guy who's very healthy, works a ton, has kids, plays, right? Like I didn't have bad lifestyle choices. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't party, right? And then all of a sudden, it's that guy who's young in the middle of his life that goes out. And it was, it was really hard to understand what was happening. And it, it really showed me too that it just you just can't expect things in life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and building those business over the years and, and like you said, making those sacrifices along the way to, to build up this this, I mean, call it passive, but this is business, right? Yeah. That that's not a, a job, right? But that can run yeah. without you because you have good people. You set up systems, 
right? It's not just yep. even even if it was just you and you didn't have those systems and, and people in place, like it, it still would it have had issues. So hundred percent, and that's why too. It's so funny that I think back on it. Like I could have quit my job, Brian, and just basically been retired, right? But instead, I'm like, actually, I want to keep doing this because they're paying me a lot. And so what we'll do is at the management company, I'm going to build a system and everything so I don't have to be there all the time. So I can actually run two businesses. So I'm going to forfeit capital and time to do that so mm-hmm. it's more passive for me. Yep. If I wouldn't have done those things, yeah, when I got out of the hospital, I, I was making more money and I was worth more than when I went in. My company was, right? Because your, your company kept growing. Because my even company though, kept growing. Yep. Yeah. It was like we were doing rate increases. We were buying, like the revenue was going up. And had nothing to do with me. Hey guys, Brian Beers here. In addition to being an entrepreneur, a podcast host, and a real estate investor, I work with a handful of clients as a strategic business coach. Success is 80% mindset and 20% mechanics. And as your coach, first, I focus on that 80% mindset. I help you get clarity on the vision that you want to create for your life and your business. We then set goals that align with creating that future. From there, it's all about having a laser focus and taking action on a daily basis. You know, I'm a friendly guy, but you're not hiring me to be your friend. You're hiring me to help turn decades into days by holding you accountable for doing what you say you're going to do. So if you're interested to learn more, go to brianbeers.com to book a coaching discovery call today. So today, how many how many doors do you own or I mean uh units square footage over how do you, 10, how do you measure it and so we own over 10,000 doors um it's like we I think like we've bought a 500,000 square feet in the last two months so I think we're at like two million we have um another 500,000 yeah under development and excluding the big guys, the yeah, extra space in the yeah. public. So, I mean, your company's up there in the top. Yeah, we're, we're in the privately top. held yep. um, self storage operators. Yeah, probably the top fifty in the world. Okay, that's amazing. What are some of the uh, the most creative things you've done? I know you can take right an old Kmart or something, right, and convert yep. that. Um, can, can you do any stories? Too. Yeah. So we, you know, we pioneered some aspects. We're big pioneers in storage, kind of like I mentioned. We, I started. Uh, um, uh, every uh, all these different things that we were doing, we knew we needed leverage. We were thinking bigger the whole time for the first one we bought. So we went and met um, my business partner and uh, Lance Watkins, who um, very one of my closest friends and, and business partner, and he was starting a co-op. So we were founding members of that with him, which we worked heavily on technology. We started a technology company in self-storage that's an open source property management system. Um, which has just exploded. And so we invested millions into the industry itself for ourselves so we could compete at the highest level. And um, we were always pushing that. And when we bought the retail center to convert it, that was not like people weren't doing that. Like nobody knew what that was. When and we what opened, was that? That was a Kmart? It was a, it was a bankrupt super Kmart. Okay. And when we bought it and turned it into a storage facility, um, to give you any idea at the time how powerful that was, we did the whole thing for like seven million, right? Bought, um, renovated, everything. Yeah. Seven million. Okay. Yeah, this was in three years ago. Okay. Um, at at this point right now, we've had offers north of thirty five million. Oh wow! So five um, five and, extra money. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so in three years, and it's cash flow heavy. We've we've already made all our money back, so we have no money into it. Um, we get 
cash flow like crazy, right? Um, we bought the building, we blew walls, we made a road in the middle of the building where you could drive off everything. At the time, nobody was doing this. It was like very unique and it caused a lot of struggles. And then on top of that, we implemented the first ever keyless technology. Okay. So at our facility, you just use an app to get in doors, to rent, to not, to open your own unit door, click it, all the doors, everything works. So you don't even need to talk to a manager. So us and our other business partner, Travis, we opened up our two facilities at the same time. We were the first in the world to ever have a truly automated And, and you developed storage. you developed that software? No, we worked with another company to, to help develop, develop it. So, but our, I mean, our product was so new, they don't even sell it. It's, it, it was a, a generation, they don't even call it generation one. It was the test product. So we were yeah. openly testing technology. Yeah, on a, on a huge project like on that. On a huge too, yeah. project. So we were very forward thinking in the industry. And that's how we've always been. And during COVID, right when COVID happened and the markets froze, right? This was right when it was the lockdown. And this is when they were like, you know, bringing bodies on the streets of China, right? Yep. Like it was just like the news was like, we are all going to die, right? It was just, you know, BS. Yep. But everybody lost their minds. And the world ended. At that time, the industries that were hit really, really hard were things like office buildings, yeah. right? Because everybody was gone. And at the time, there was not even a known food. Well, office buildings that were coming up for sale, they got demolished. Like it was all of a sudden people were running from them. Hmm. And so we found we have this huge office building right on to uh, the downtown area, five acres, um, you know, uh, over 100,000 square feet. And it's on a major exit, main corner, right? They were trying to sell. The buyers and everybody backed out. Um, we walked in. It was, just, I mean, this is right in the thick of it. And we walked in and they were selling it for $7 million. We went to the bank. They owed 4.5 on it. We gave them 4.5 and we bought it. Um, the land is worth over 7 million. Mm. And we got the entire building and everything else. And we're converting that into a 160,000 square foot storage facility right on this main downtown exit and everything. So we've always tried to be, and that's how we were even during the Great Recession. When everybody's running, we're trying to push forward. We're trying to innovate. We're trying to do things that the industry hasn't ever seen before. Um, and it's really set us apart. Um, mm. now that, that, and that was a lot of risk. And I think you, people don't understand we could take that risk because we, me and my partner, who's my father, we started this industry or not this industry. We started these storage facilities and buying them and figuring it out. Right. Well, it, we grew slowly. We churned our capital. So we would buy them. We build them up. We'd refinance them into non-recourse loans. We would take all our money out and we would do it again. Right. So Burr for single family homes, we were doing a commercial through a value add strategy through operations. And so we were at 150 million in assets and we'd never taken outside money. Yeah, so that's amazing. Yep. We could do things. And then you weren't taking money out. I mean, you're, it was, you were pouring it all back in. All back right? And everything. That's, we, we, yep. we were taking nothing out. And so, but it gave us the freedom to do things in our management company that didn't make financial sense. It gave us the freedom to do things in storage facility that not that it didn't make fun. Yeah, in the management company, you're like, why are you spending so much expenses? And we're like, oh, well, we have five facilities now, but this is going to pay off when we triple the company, which mm, nobody does yep. that. They don't build for the company three times X that they don't even know that they're going to achieve because there's zero profit, 
right? So we, we, it gave us so much freedom and I was really lucky that we were on the same page. It's like, let's pump this money up and let's scale this and do it. So we had the freedom to do things that other people probably couldn't do because investors wouldn't let them or they'd freak out, right? And uh, that is something that even when we started taking investors at the far start of last year, it, the first thing was control. It was yeah. like, I, investors can never have any say in any of our businesses, our business models, how we run, because we can't have people stop us from what made us. And that's really one of our core tenants here is we focus solely on revenue and, and revenue management. Um, and we push boundaries. We do things that other people can't do or get done. Um, but it's and we can do it safely because how intrinsically we understand or involved are in the industry. So it's not as risky for us. Yeah. A- any of those ideas you did implement that that didn't work out or you had to change course? Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Like yeah, it, it's one of them. Oh, geez. Holy cow. Like It's even hard to say one because it was endless. I mean, when we first started, it, like we got started. We're like, how do we run this thing without us even being here? So I hired a guy that um, was running franchises like um, Wendy's and Starbucks, all over chains of them, right? And we just came in and we took all the operations and we put them on these huge sticky notes and we just plastered walls with them. We stayed up all night, one night doing it. And our, our few employees, our two employees came by in the next day and everybody's like, what? What'd you guys do, right? <laughs> and we're like, this is how we're operating now, okay. right? It looked like yeah. we were on crack all night, yeah, like yeah. tweaking now, right? And then we started building processes and systems out of all of it. We've eliminated, we were doing big things for like manager conferences that we would do these inside trainings and everything that we got rid of. We found out it was not, it wasn't that it even that it was so costly, but th- between the turnover and the management style, we were allocating so much expense on training that the turnover through the system, all we were doing was perpetually training employees, mm. nothing else. Like, so we had like a section of the department and this huge expense that that's all they did. And this was actual people. So then we're like, we have to automate this. We have to improve it. We have to fix it. So we do less on training today than I did five years ago. Yet we are 10 times more. So how do you get them trained? Is it the, is so the method that you do? It's a combination. Yeah, it's a, it's a method. So right now we have an individual. So we have a full-time actual trainer, right? But we shrunk it down to this huge week process. We automated everything. We have online. They have to go through tests. They have to do qualifying. We don't do on-site training um, with one of the people from our corporate office now until they've already gone through and mm. gone uh, gone through and done all this training. So we got rid of 80% of the on-site training just through management. And then too, we instituted more of a shadow management um, where they would go work under somebody alongside somebody. So it's, they got to experience it and learn it. And then we did a short three, four day on-site training. Uh, okay. So we took it from two weeks, multiple personnel, because that, that one person that was doing it had to be with every single new person. Yep, all over the, con- all the country, all over the right? multiple states. Just, exactly. So yep. then we had to have multiple trainers. Now we have three trainers that are running around doing this. And it was just, it was out of control. Um, so that was a big one, was simply how to manage turnover and all these people, yep. but still get great results. We, we need these people to be performing at X level. And especially in times like now, where it's really hard to hire people. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. We've never seen anything like this. And our payroll's gone up 40% in three years. I mean, crazy, right? And so now we're paying more than ever, um, but quality hasn't improved. 
Um, so how did we do this effectively? And if we were operating the way we, we were before, like it, it gets to a point where you're just like, we can't even grow. It doesn't even make sense. Yep. So I see behind you have uh, What It Takes uh, by Steve Schwartzman. That's one of my um, favorite books. Yes. Um, so what what are your, you know, his his thing in that that book is, you know, think big, right? It takes the same amount of effort, time, and energy focus yep. to do some of a small deal as it is to a big deal. Um, you know, obviously you have that philosophy. Uh, and and so what what's next? Like how are you gonna take this thing even even bigger to where you're at now? Yeah, I mean, and I really do hold to that philosophy. Um, it's an important one. Um, I think everybody should have it. It's a big problem, I think, in society. Um and I, I was kind of extreme before I went into the hospital, right? Like it's go big or go home kind of guy, right? But after I got out, I was just like, geez, I'm going to be dead any minute. So I'm not doing anything unless it's going to be huge. worth it. Huge. Yep. Well, so there's no reason to do it, right? Because yep. I'm going to be dead. So um, that I doubled down on that. And it was immediately like, we're changing everything. So we're headed to, we started, when I came out, one of the biggest things we, we changed it, I started a syndication company. So I'm like, if we're really going to get here, how we're going to, our capital needs to go farther. We need to get more expense. We grew our management side. We started investing tons more money into technology, millions. Um, and uh, that was different. That was a, a big learning curve. But it, our, our goals in three years, well, actually now it's almost two years to be at a billion dollar um, um, holdings evaluation. I think by the time we get to a billion dollars, though, we'll be in multiple asset classes. So we'll probably, we do a lot of development, large development. So we'll develop 200,000 square feet. Um, we do a lot of that now. And um, what will be the other uses? It'll be like an industrial? Uh, so actually, we we look at things like uh, light industrial flex space. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get into. We think that that's uh, big. I've, I've liked light industrial flex for years. I've thought that that's just, if I start, so if I was starting over again today, I wouldn't go into storage anymore. I would go into light industrial. Because storage is getting too competitive. Is that, oh, is that it, the challenge? 60% of the markets in the United States, I would never touch. They're going to fall. All, all, the, major, all the major markets are paying too much. Is that, is that the reason? Not, or? Not, so it's the cost of it. So right now, storage are trading at cap rates of like apartment buildings, which makes no financial sense. Like mm -hmm. self-storage is not safer than apartments. And I, I'm like the self-storage guy. Right. Like I kind of branded myself. Said. I'm like, I'm like the self-storage disciple. I'm okay. running around here. ye, hear ye. Self-storage is amazing. Right. And I, and I get in arguments with self-storage where they're like people, they're like, you know, it's safe in their apartments. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. We have short-term contracts. You know, I have a guy that in, in the last four years right now, one of the problems we have is you have all these people after 2008 that got into self-storage. Mm -hmm. So you have all these people, especially young guys that got into <clears throat> self-storage. They've been in self-storage for four years and their performance has beat the market. Well, it has been the best four years in this industry cycle. Like it's not even comparable. Yeah, so they're, they're so buying at this high is what you're, yes. what you're saying. Yep. They're buying at the top, the top of demand. They're buying at everything. So they're seeing the revenues go up. They're seeing all of this stuff happen, this equity be made. And it, it, the more time that went on over the last four or five years, the more people wanted storage. And then COVID hit. And these storage people, like, Every, nobody wanted office buildings. Nobody, everybody wanted to get into storage. So storage was already so hot. After COVID, it got feverish. So mm -hmm. all these guys that had owned it over the four years, they saw their values drop to five caps, four caps, or three caps. 
And they're just like, I've made millions, right? And that's very worrisome for us. They've never been through a contraction. They've never been through a credit cycle. And they even in 08, people don't understand because they compare self-storage in 08. They're like, oh, self-storage occupancies never drop below like 80% on a national average in, in um, uh, self-storage. And we're like, well, yes, that's true. Now, you also have to take into account that nobody was building it at the time. But two, revenues plummeted. So occupancy didn't drop because self-storage, we can change really quickly. But what we saw is revenues cratered. Mm. We bought lots of bankrupt storage facilities. That was one of our big ways we expanded. These people were just in dire straits. They couldn't fill up their facilities. Um, and then times got better, right? But then after 2015, when people started really getting into storage, I think the performance has been beyond exceptional. And so right now we have more competition than we've ever had. The square footage that has been put onto in-cell storage Every single last, every single year for the last five six years has over doubled the next previous high ever recorded. Hmm. And then, on top of that, we're kind of petering out. Like we're we're, we're hitting like a too cap. saturated. Right, there's too much. It, well, right. too much, but also how much you can charge. Yeah, like it, you're stalling out. Same like we're seeing in houses, right? So you're seeing housing prices or or housing exchanges slowing hmm. down because prices are just too high. It's not that there's not demand. There is demand, right? Housing, I don't believe in any way, shape, or form. Housing is going to turn, right? And in self-storage right now, we have huge demand. But what we're seeing is the rate increases are, are slowing down. So you got people buying the highest demand we've ever seen, the lowest cap rates we've ever seen. And people, because what happens because of that, people develop like mad. So the development cycle kicks up in a big, big way. Um, and... As we all know, this is this is basic real estate cycle talks, right? As mm -hmm. we all know, this doesn't go on forever. It can't and it won't. And in storage, we're definitely up there. Now, people are like, oh, so you think it's bad here? I'm, oh, no, 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 no. I'm buying and I'm building. But we have never been so selective. What I what it takes for me to buy a facility or build a facility is 10 times the effort than four years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's not because they're not out there. That's not it. It's not because they're not options. It's because there's just not good ones. Yep. Yeah. And that's a good business decision and a safe bet, especially now you're working with investors' money to do the right thing yep. and you have this long-term outlook. So yep. that's great. 100%. Um, any, any other books that you recommend uh, that you've been reading now? Yeah. So, you know, obviously what it takes, I love the um, Almanac of Naval. It's great. Okay. It's just all of Naval's teachings and everything. Um uh, put together about finance. Uh, I, that's one that you can just kind of read over and over again because it teaches great fundamental principles. Um, but I like books that help me understand and better recognize opportunities. Hmm. Um, and so I, I love to read. I'm obsessed with it. Um, and I, I do a mix between more books, I guess, like What It Takes and The Almanac of Naval. And then I read lots of textbooks. It's super nerdy, but I hmm. love it. I buy development textbooks, I, I, I buy them, they come in, I'll study them for a month and rip them apart um, because that's more meat and actionable. And I tell people that if you're reading books, you, you pair it up. You grab a great book, like what it takes that talks about thinking big and you get to hear great stories. All that's really good, but only read it when you're reading a textbook. Like, and the textbooks suck, they're, they're boring and everything. But I, I just, there's a really big thing for me. Like you gotta combine hmm. that high level with meat. What are some of the 
other examples of textbooks, like economic textbooks for cycles and then construction? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, um, let me see here. I, I have several that I used to read all the time as far as textbooks, particularly on economic cycles. Oh, so I love anything. Um, Ray Dalio's book, Big mm. Debt Crisis, right? It's a great way to understand what's going on. And it used to be that like macroeconomics was kind of a joke. Mm-hmm. So when I was in school and when I was going everything, macroeconomics was pretty much almost voodoo science, right? Well, in today's world, macroeconomics is the only thing that matters. Yep. Because we're living on the government. Like, you know, CNN just posted this thing this morning. They're like, we're officially recovered and the economy is out of the COVID crisis. And I'm like, what, $6 trillion the government's pumping in. <laughs> We're not yeah. out of a crisis. We're living on the government. Yep. As, of, as of right now, 30, 30 or 42% of all capital in our economy was put in in literally the last eight months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like we are living on the government. So I think it's really important to understand in this time and age what that means. So how does the government influence our economy? Um, and I, I became obsessed with that after 2008. Because before it was like, oh, yeah, the government, the Fed sets interest rates and everything like that. But after 2008, we set a precedent where the government could get involved in unprecedented ways. And we're on that playbook, right? We follow up COVID and we see it. So if you don't fundamentally understand how the government now works with capital markets and private markets, you're missing opportunity and you're seeing danger because they can destroy and make um, industries. And we, we now have their playbook. It's very open. We know what they're going to do and handle it. That's why when COVID came around and everybody ran for the hills, I went out to buy because I'm like, no, you don't understand. The government's just going to give everybody money, which is mm. going to create massive ass- asset inflation. So yep. we just ran and started buying because I knew because that's what happened in 2008. And we did the same thing. The moment the government uh, um, announced uh, QE to infinity, the bailouts, securing the banks, everything like that, and started talking about these massive financial numbers, it was very clear, we're going to have massive asset inflation. So we ran and started buying up hard assets as well as, as stocks. Earnings. So that stuff really makes or breaks people because if you're on the wrong side of that cycle, you get crushed. Yeah, that's great insight. And um, yeah, I'll definitely uh, yeah, probably get, get, get some recommendations for you for some of those books. So, so where can listeners connect and, and find out more uh, about you and, and what you do? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to connect. You can uh, Google me. I have two podcasts, one just on self-storage, and then other is the AJ Osborne podcast. Instagram, those easiest way. I'm active on there. We show behind the scenes where tra- we charge show property. All my, inf- like, I, I became obsessed with sharing information after I got out of the hospital, right? So it's just like, we're just going to teach and teach and teach. And from teaching people and giving away free information, I really viewed it that I would get deals and opportunities, investors, and that's worked very, very well. So we put out a lot of information. I have a YouTube channel, the number one podcast in self-storage by far. It's it's huge. And that's been amazing. I've absolutely loved it. I love sharing with what we're doing, how we're doing it. Because for me, in self-storage, it's so dependent on markets. What that means is that markets are very easily oversupplied. Hmm. So like individual, you have a five mile radius. It's very micro and it can be oversupplied or undersupplied quickly. All Hmm. it takes is one big facility to be built and you can destroy the other ones around it. Hmm. And if I can prevent people from making bad decisions in storage by analyzing and making good decisions, it's better for everybody. Uh, Self-storage greatest threat 
is self-storage. So we put tons and tons of information out there. So I'm fairly easy to find. That's great. Well, thanks for coming on and, and sharing your story today and, and teaching everybody about the self-storage business and kind of all these, these macro cycles that are happening. And um, it's been great. Yeah, mm-hmm. happy to do it. I all appreciate right. you having me on. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.